Good morning again, everyone. Thank you for joining us. And we are continuing a sermon series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Echo, the Lord's Prayer. And it's a series focused on one part of Luther's small catechism, which is a resource that basically answers every question there is to ask about the Bible. And we're going to pick through each of those in subsequent years over the next couple of years. And this year, we're going through the Lord's Prayer, which is Jesus' answer to the question, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? So this week, we're going through your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, but before we get there, let's just review a little bit. Uh, in week one, we talked about how God is our father, how he's obviously the king of the universe, the creator of all things. But because of our baptism, we have been made his children. We have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. And so we can come to him in our prayers, not as subjects of the king, but as sons and daughters of the king. We then learned in week two about hallowed be your name. And we learned that that is essentially a moment of perspective to just say before anything I need or I'm going to ask about God, I just want to recognize who you are. I want to realize that, that you're in control of everything that happens, that you are good. You are kind. You are gracious. You've saved me and take some time in our prayers just to open up that space to breathe and before we start to bring everything we have to God, recognize who he is. Last week, we talked about your kingdom come. We talked about how God's kingdom is not a visible kingdom. It's not the movement of Christianity to change culture, but it is the power of God's word that comes in ordinary ways to ordinary people and gives them an extraordinary salvation. This week, we're talking about your will be done. And so I want to start with this question. When was the last time you prayed that God would bring something bad into your life? When was the last time you got down on your knees and you asked God, God, I would love to have a season of unemployment in my life. When was the last time you folded your hands and asked God that the economy would crash? When's the last time you closed your eyes and said, God, I could really use some hard times. I'm guessing your answer is never. <laughs> I don't think any of our prayers sound like that. But if that's your answer, don't speak so quickly. Because what we're learning today is that actually we've been asking for all the bad things that have happened in our lives. This week, we're going through your will be done. And on the surface, it may seem like a pious ask. God, do whatever you need to do. But what we're going to find out this week is that praying God's will be done is almost an insane prayer. It is essentially asking God to do, yes, whatever it takes, even hurting us, even allowing us to suffer in order that his will would be done. So before we get into the teaching and explain how that is the case with this petition of the Lord's Prayer and actually see how Jesus prayed this petition of the Lord's Prayer, I want to talk a little bit about God's will. Because there is a lot of talk about God's will, especially from, from Christians. And uh, I tend to see on the one hand or the other, Christians using God's will in ways that scripture doesn't talk about. So on the one hand, you'll have those who see God's will as something distant, something out there. Yeah, it exists, but 
but I can't really know it. Now, these would be the type of people who might say something pious like, let go and let God. Or, I'm not really sure what God wants, but I'm just trying to live my best life for him. Uh, they're the people who don't really want to put in the hard work to know what God's will is. They like God, and they believe that God is all-powerful, but they'd rather him stay a ways away. The problem with this is that the Bible tells us that God's will is knowable and that it's an integral part of our life. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 tells us that as our minds are being renewed and transformed by the gospel, we will be able to discern what God's will is. And there he describes it as good and pleasing and perfect. Those things that, that fit in with God's law, his Ten Commandments, the salvation of souls, the suffering that Christians need to do so that they, in a way, mimic Jesus' sufferings like we heard about in 1 Peter. All those things are good and pleasing and perfect. And God says that we should know those things. A Christian life is not a life of just setting everything aside and moving forward without a care. No, the Christian life is, is taking God's word and taking God's will and, and getting on board with it. Like we've said multiple times in this series, when we pray, we are not asking God to move in our direction. We're trying to get ourselves to move in God's direction. On the other hand, though, you might have people who take God's will and make it far too specific. You might hear this, a person may pray that God reveal to them what thing they should do. Maybe it's where they're going to move or what job they're going to take or whether they should marry this person. And they wait for some sort of revelation or, or feeling that that's the person that they should be with or that's the job that they should take or that's the place that they should move. And then they'll say, you know, I really felt that it was God's will that I do this thing or that thing. The problem with that is that's not how the Bible talks about God's will either. In the book of James, the Bible says uh, that God's will is actually in many ways unknowable for us and that God's will has very little to do with many of the day in day out uh, choices that we have that have nothing to do with sin or grace or sanctified living. For example, if you go to Tim Hortons and you're going to buy yourself a donut, you pray, God, give me the right donut. <laughs> if I may be so frank, God doesn't care what donut you eat. <laughs> Whatever one you choose, that's, that's great. He, he gave you the freedom to live in his world. And as long as what you're doing is not sin, well, God's will is still happening. And whether you choose Boston cream or honey cruelly, you're still in God's will. So let's be careful when we talk about God's will that we don't keep it so distant that it's not real and it's not part of our life, but not so close to us that it's too specific and that it takes on each little thing in our life. So what is God's will? Well, God's will is talked about in many places in the Bible, and it has many different facets, aspects to it. Um, but today I want to focus specifically on the centerpiece of God's will, which is your salvation. God is trying to save you. <laughs> he has done the work. Jesus has died on the cross. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word is coming to you so that you can be saved. That's God's will. Uh, Ezekiel 18 talks about this. Uh, Ezekiel tells us that God does not desire the death of the wicked, but that they repent. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that what pleases God 
is that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So when we pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we are essentially saying is, God, save us. <laughs> Do whatever it takes to save our souls. Now, that might seem like an easy prayer to pray, but let's think this out for a second. When we talk about being saved or salvation, that requires that we're being saved from something. Now, what are we being saved from? Sin, death, the power of the devil, of course. But those things manifest themselves in all sorts of different ways in our life. They manifest themselves in pain, emotional, physical pain, psychological pain. They manifest themselves in, in suffering, whether it's because I, I don't have enough money or I'm lonely or because I can't seem to get this thing to work the way that I want it to work. It can be in seeing a loved one die or seeing your own body start to dis disintegrate. Uh, sin, death, and the power of the devil show up in all sorts of ways. And when we talk about salvation, that's what we want to be saved from. I think every one of us who's watching this video right now would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yes, because God is wonderful and I want to be with God, but also because I'd, I'd like to get away from all these terrible things that are happening in the world. Now, when you pray, what do you pray for? Do you very often pray that bad things be removed from your life? Is that in line with what God tells us to pray? When he says, pray your will be done. Let's just imagine for a second that all the things that you prayed, God answered, yes. Yes, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. Imagine all those things happened. Would you still crave heaven? Would you still feel like you needed salvation? Probably not. In fact, your life would get so comfortable that you might even forget about God. You might say, my, my life is so good, I, I feel like I'm God. <laughs> See, when, when God allows suffering in our life, it is to draw us back to seeing how great his salvation is. And so when we play, pray, your will be done, when we essentially say, God, do whatever it takes to save me, we are also praying, Lord, allow suffering into my life. You should think, of it, think about it like camping. Uh, obviously, the campgrounds haven't been opened yet, but I'm looking forward to camping this summer. I love being outside. I, I love roasting things over a fire. I love the sounds of nature. I wonder if you like camping too. But I bet none of us want to live in a campground. <laughs> We're getting really comfortable with air conditioning and running water and soft beds. Those things are, are wonderful, right? You don't get those in a campground. And while camping might be fun for a little while, eventually you start to get sick of not showering and not having running water and not being able to control the elements, right? See, camping makes you appreciate having a home. In the same way, living here on earth with the suffering and the pain and the persecution that comes, it reminds us that what's coming 
is so much better. So when we pray, God, your will be done, we're actually asking God to bring bad things into our life. We're asking God to make us crave eternity, to crave salvation, to see it as something that we need right now. So when I asked at the beginning of the sermon, when's the last time you prayed that God would bring something bad into your life? You could have actually answered that question by saying, the last time I prayed, your will be done. I prayed, Lord, do whatever it takes, even if it means bringing pain into my life to get me to want to be close to you, to get me to crave heaven, to get me to look to your word for all the answers. Do whatever it takes, God. Now that's the prayer of an insane person, (laughs) especially in our culture. In our culture, we are taught that we are supposed to be the creators of our own destiny, that we are the ones who are in control. We are the ones who are trying to make a better life for ourselves. This prayer says exactly the opposite. Let me give you control, God. Let me set, let me let you set my path in life. Uh, Let me let you bring suffering into my life. And that wrecks the way that most people think about prayer, doesn't it? I mean, throughout this series, we've seen that the way that God sets up the Lord's Prayer wrecks the North American ideal of prayer. We start by saying, before I have anything of, of my requests verbalized to you, God, I just want to remind myself how awesome you are. Hallowed be your name. I don't want you to move in my direction. I want my heart to move in your direction. Oh yeah, and before I ask for anything for myself, I want to ask some things that that you do get done around me. Like your kingdom come. Preach your word to me and preach your word to the other people around me. And then before I even ask for my daily bread, I want to make sure that that my heart is tuned to your will. Then I'm ready to suffer. In fact, I... I look at suffering as a blessing because it makes me crave eternity. Like if that doesn't wreck at least some part of the way that you've thought about prayer, well, then I'm very impressed. I certainly have seen my prayer life change as we've done this series. But it's still the prayer of an insane person, isn't it? (laughs) As I pray those things, I still wonder, do I really want to pray this? Is this, is this really going to make my life better? See, the tough thing about the Lord's Prayer is not so much knowing what it says, but then actually praying it once you know what it says. And so it's not enough for me to give you a sermon about what it means to pray your will be done. I need to also give you the motivation to pray that. And to do that, we're going to read a story of Jesus from right before he was crucified on the cross, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, from Matthew 26. We'll read from Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. If you want, you can follow along on the Bible tab on this page. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. 
and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the gospel of the Lord. So I want to pick out three things from this text. I want to look at Jesus' emotion, Jesus' request, and then Jesus as the power, example, and promise of God's will being done. So first, Jesus' emotion. Uh, the text tells us that as Jesus was going into the Garden of Gethsemane, he became very sorrowful and troubled. And then he actually says to the disciples who are with him, my heart is sorrowful, and it's actually sorrowful to the point of death. Now, what does that mean? Well, that would be a common way of talking about what we would maybe think of as like severe depression right now, or even suicidal thoughts, right? He says, sorrowful to the point of death. And I want to stop right there because I know that some of you deal with severe depression. I know some of you have dealt with suicidal thoughts or even attempted to take your own life. And I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly how that feels. Jesus has felt sorrow to the point of death. And so when, when you're feeling that depression, when you're thinking those suicidal thoughts, what the devil wants more than anything else is for you to feel like you're alone. But I want you to know that you're not. <laughs> Jesus shows right here that you are not alone. He has been through exactly what you've been through. The beauty is that he came out the other side and gave you credit for not falling into sin. But then let's see what he does with that emotion. The first thing that he does is he expresses it, right? He says it out loud. He says exactly, uh, if I'm going to quote here, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, that might not seem like a big thing, but for many of us, expressing our emotions actually can be really hard, especially when there's strong emotions of sorrow or pain or suffering. And while this text is certainly not about expressing your emotions, it is interesting to notice that as Jesus was suffering, one of the first things he did is talk about it. I think particularly of men. Oh, men, we, we struggle to express our emotions sometimes. We often bottle it up or, or try to let that emotion go in some other way. But let's look at the manliest man who has ever lived and see that he was willing to talk about his emotions. Now, he wasn't just willing to talk about them in prayer. 
He was also willing to talk about them in community. Notice that he brought along his disciples as he was going to pray. It was obviously one of the worst things that had ever happened in the history of the world. In fact, it was the worst thing that had ever happened. All the wrath of God was going to be poured out on one man. Jesus knew it was coming. And so what did he do? He brought along his friends as he went to pray. So what does this teach us? Well, it should teach us that as Christians, when we have a struggle with God, when we have pain and suffering in our life or something that really bothers us, we ought to be willing to go to God with it in prayer, but also be willing to go to fellow Christians in community to speak about what is going on in our lives, to have people we trust to bring along with us. And notice exactly what Jesus does. He, he brings them along, then he goes a little bit farther and prays and then comes back to them. And then he goes back and prays and comes back to them and goes back and prays and comes back to them. And obviously the disciples are a bad example because they're falling asleep. But what Jesus is showing us is that prayer and community, they're connected. What are you suffering through right now? Have you talked about it with Christian friends? Have you prayed about it? And then talked about your prayers with Christian friends? We need that. God made us that way. He built the church that way. That's why we as a congregation have built life groups, places where Christians can get to know one another, get close enough to share those struggles. If I can just brag a little bit on my life group, uh, my life group obviously has not been meeting during this pandemic, but some of the best moments of this pandemic have been when my life group has reached out to me or I've reached out to them. I've had long conversations on the phone or on Zoom calls with some of them. And those things have been so awesome to share the struggles that we're going through, to encourage one another with God's word, or just to sit and listen. I want that for you because God wants that for you. And so as we start up life groups again, make sure you're in a life group. Find that Christian community to share your prayers with. Now let's see what Jesus does next. After expressing all this emotion, he actually goes and prays. And what he prays is our petition that we're focusing on today. He says, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, and by cup, he means the suffering of the cross. And I want that to happen, but not my will, but yours be done. Now, this shows us a couple things. It shows us, first of all, that this is a historical account. I mean, if you were making up a story, a legend about some character so that you could start a fake religion, you wouldn't write that the main character, the hero of the story, was actually trying to get out of doing what was necessary in order to save everybody right before it happened. Isn't that exactly what Jesus is doing? He's going to God in prayer and saying, uh, yeah, can I get out of this? Is there any way for me not to suffer for the sins of the world? But second, it also should show us that it's okay to challenge God in prayer. Now, often we think of Jesus and we think that he's this squeaky clean, perfect image and that he would never challenge God. But what is he doing right here? He's praying to God, God, can I not do the thing you sent me here to do? 
I was looking through the Psalms this week and, and a Psalm hit me as I was studying these verses. It was Psalm 39. Psalm 39 is a Psalm of David. And what hit me was the last verse of this Psalm. Now let me read it for you. This is Psalm 39, verse 13. David writes to God in prayer, look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. And that's the end. (laughs) Like the last verse of Psalm 39 is essentially David saying, God, it would be way easier for me if you weren't in my life. Amen. (laughs) Like David's prayer to God ends with no gospel, no promise, no, but I trust you, God, just God, it would be way easier for me if you were part of my life. Does that sound like your prayers? That sounds like Jesus' prayer, doesn't it? God, if there's any way that I can get out of this, please let it happen. But what this teaches us is that it's okay to be an ugly prayer. (laughs) Uh, To pray with a boldness and with a, a realness that you wouldn't show to anyone else. In the Old Testament book of Job, Job is praying to God after all sorts of terrible suffering happens to him. And he challenges God. He says, God, why are you doing this to me? This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. And yet the Bible tells us that in all that Job said, he did not sin. Why is that? Because that book is trying to teach us that if we're willing to wrestle with things with God, that honors God. So when you pray, pray like Jesus or like David or like Job. When something is the worst, when the suffering is so bad, when the pain is overwhelming, be an ugly prayer to God. But then we should also notice that as Jesus prays this and ultimately prays your will be done, He's praying in a context that is completely different than any pain or suffering that we've gone through. See, when we pray God's will be done, we know that God is working his will for our good. And that though we may suffer, in the end, it's going to work out for our ultimate salvation. We know the end of the story. And so the little suffering that we do now, we can overcome it knowing the promise that is there for us. But Jesus didn't have that promise. See, when he was praying for God's will to be done, it wasn't knowing that he was going to be saved, but in fact, knowing that he was going to be damned, that he was going to suffer hell, that he was going to feel the ultimate wrath of God. In fact, this was, this was so tough on Jesus that another place in the Bible tells us that as he was praying these prayers, blood actually started coming out of his pores because of the stress that he was under. If you compare that to other Christians who have died for their faith, other Christians look absolutely saintly. Some excited to go to their death because they'll know they'll go to heaven. Some proud of their faith. Some even mocking the unbelievers who are killing them. But Jesus, the son of God, he looks absolutely broken up. Why? Because he was about to suffer something that none of us will ever know. And therein lies the beauty. Because when Jesus said, your will be done, he asked for something far more difficult 
than whatever you ask for when you say your will be done. And because of that, we can know that Jesus is the power source for us to pray that insane prayer that God would bring bad things into our life if necessary. He's the power source because we can trust him. We can trust him because he was willing to go all the way to hell for us to follow God's will. So that every time we fail to follow God's will, every time we ignore God's will, every time we turn to a different direction, we could be forgiven for that. Think about the people that you trust the most in the world. Maybe a a best friend, a sister, a brother, a spouse. Why do you trust that person? Because they've proven time and time again that they're willing to go the extra mile for you. So trust Jesus. Jesus was willing to go all the way to hell for you. And that's something that no other religious leader, no guru, no other God can offer you. Every other religious thought system requires something of you. It says you live this way. You give up this. Not Christianity. Christianity says God steps into your place and gets everything that you need and gives it to you. God steps into your place and suffers everything you needed to suffer and gives you credit for it. Trust Jesus when you pray your will be done. Because Jesus prayed your will be done. Jesus then is also the example. As we pray God's will be done, we can pray with ugly prayers. We can wrestle with God in prayer. We can bring those things that are on our hearts and use prayer as a mechanism to get our hearts in line with God's. And we can also learn to do it in community, to pray in our life groups, to connect with those people whom God has given us to suffer with. As Peter told us in 1 Peter, to suffer together, to show hospitality to one another, to love one another deeply to continue to do good. And then finally, and maybe most gloriously, we can know that Jesus is the promise that God's will is already done. See, when Jesus died on the cross and won salvation for us, God's will was done. Your salvation was won. It was yours. It was given to you. Then the ability to believe it came by the Holy Spirit, and now you're saved. Even though you may not always follow God's will, even though you may not always pray for God's will to be done, it's getting done. In fact, it's already done. Your salvation is won. Your salvation is credited to your account. You are right in the eyes of God the Father. So when you pray for God's will to be done, you're not praying that anything gets done that's not already done. You're praying that that your heart would realize what God has already done in your life. And when you know that it's already been done and that it's a guarantee for you, then you can go through anything. You can suffer anything. You can stave off any sort of pain because you know God's will is done. So when's the last time you asked God to bring something bad into your life? 
You might say, the last time you prayed, your will be done. But when you understand what Jesus has done, then you know that when you pray God's will would be done, some things will happen that are unpleasant, but they are all ultimately for your eternal good. So pray that prayer boldly, brothers and sisters, and trust that God's will is already done and will continue to be done. Amen.